I just want to say thank you again for joining us for another episode of the Drop-In CEO Podcast week after week. I invest so much time in bringing the most amazing insights and inspiration to you. But before we get to our guest interview today, I have also been speaking with so many, so many people from varied background, often in the manufacturing environment, production, manufacturing quality leaders. Those are my people for which I sincerely want to understand what do they see as the opportunities and challenges in their career. And one such leader, oh my, they are a supervisor trying to get to the manager role and have had some challenges along the way. But his insight is amazing. He says he leads by simply seeking to be the best leader that he can be and refining the art of engaging the people around him and being of in service. And he knows, right time, right place, right boss, right environment, that leadership quality will be valued and the manager title will come. And while he continues to strive every day, what he is striving for is the best he can in leadership first and the rest will come. So think about it. It's amazing insight. Sometimes that minor shift in our mindset and perspective can make the journey all better. But on that note, let's move to our special guest, Link Kroger, who sincerely appreciates and invests in talent now, young in their career, because they are going to be the technical capability and leaders that we have tomorrow. He's got an amazing program, but at the core of it, he's so aligned with the Drop-In CEO brand, investing in talent for the leaders of tomorrow. Let's listen to this amazing conversation. I like to call it benevolent capitalism, of what we do. The first leg on our stool is that we create technology talent that rivals four-year degrees. Fortune 500 companies rate our graduates as someone at the level that they received a computer science degree, and then they had six to 12 months experience on the job. The second element is we exclusively focus on urban underserved, Native American, and rural communities, the big demographics of Left Behind. We're community-focused. We want to select a community that's the right match for us and for them. Then we want to go in and create kind of this engine that creates 15 to 25 jobs every year in that community where they can stay close. We partner with companies who support work from anywhere. Third, we focus on youth primarily is about 85%. You know, statistically upwards to 1.4 million unfilled computer science jobs in the country, right? So why aren't we taking those opportunities and helping people get ahead? Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the Drop-In CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of The Drop-In CEO, and I am grateful you have joined us for another episode of The Drop-In CEO podcast. Week after week, I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights and inspiration with you. And if you like this podcast, please rate and review, subscribe, tell others so we can continue to bring you great, 
great programming. And just know, I sincerely care about you, the CEO, C-suite leader of today and tomorrow, and would love to connect with you. But you are here today, and I am honored to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Link Kroger. Link's passion for fighting social inequity led him to leverage his 35 years of enterprise technology experience to create a creative solution to help level the playing field while also delivering technology solutions for the world's most important causes. Link served on the Technology Association of Iowa Board for three years. He was assigned by Governor Kim Reynolds to her Empower Rural Iowa Task Force and has been identified as the most innovative leader on bringing tech jobs to rural in the nation by U.S. Congressman Ro Khanna, representing Silicon Valley. And he's also been recognized as a top national rural influencer by the ruralists and was the USDA Rural Prosperity Tour keynote speaker. He has an impressive resume, but what he does is so amazing. Link, I would love to welcome you onto the show. Thank you so much, Deb. It's a pleasure to be on. So I found Link through a trusted colleague of mine, and they reached out to me in direct says, you got to bring Link onto the show. Not only is he a successful business leader whose journey and impact is significant, but then he asked the hard question of, but what else can we do? And so he has gone above and beyond simply a favorable and very good career and truly giving back to others, which is so essential to leadership. So I can't wait to bring this conversation and the great work that Link is doing to you. But first, Link, the floor is yours. Tell us about yourself personally, your journey to the work that you're doing now. Well, thanks, Deb. No, I was in high school. I won't go back too far, but you know, you look at what you're going to do for a career. And I was one of those people. I have an older brother, an older sister. They both went to college. And I just couldn't see taken that pathway of, you know, all the debt because I grew up in a lower middle class family in a small rural town in Northeast Iowa. You know, I saw this commercial of the GI Bill where you go in the military and then you get the money to go to college. And I was like, wow, that's fantastic. It doesn't quite work like the commercials, just so you know, but it did work out really well. So I started my career off in the United States Air Force and I was fortunate to get in right in the ground floor of the technology industry. This is back in 1986. So, you know, learning even, I got trained on punch cards and it was mainframes, right? There was, there was no internet then, there weren't networks, there wasn't Wi-Fi, right? So it was, the, it was the very beginning, you know, learned Fortran, software development, assembler. So it was a golden era of computers. And, and I got to grow with the whole industry as everything emerged. It's been a fantastic journey. But in those 35 years, starting working for the U.S. Air Force, and then went into consulting out of that in technology consulting and worked for a Seattle-based software development company, making commercial software, kind of went back and forth with consulting because if you're in this industry of technology, you're probably going to be in consulting at some point, and then worked in the Fortune 500 space of companies, and then did a lot of consulting and whether it's Fortune 50, Fortune 500, or startups that are using and leveraging technology, ended up in a technology firm called Pillar Technology that was Columbus, Ohio-based, and was their chief operating officer. And in that, we were opening an office, and we called our offices Forges, and their technology innovation centers. We're opening one in Iowa, and I said, you know what? My wife, her twin is still there. Hey, we'll go. We'll open this and make this a great experience. So, which I never thought I'd move back to Iowa again, because when I left in 86, you know, I loved it. But I was like, you know, it's just not a technology place and that's my career. So I was all over the map in the country, 
was fortunate to have some international experience in this too, but because of the opportunity, actually came back to Iowa and was able to open up this technology and innovation center. So that was kind of, I guess, a longer intro of my background. So interesting. And again, this is you and me, our listeners get to kind of listen, be a fly on the wall. Air Force, my husband also served in the Air Force. He got out in 87 and then that's when we connected. So that was a great career. My nephew's in the Air Force right now. So we sincerely appreciate the services. My son, David, is also in the Army right now. So appreciate the work. It's so necessary, but you made me feel so ancient. You were talking about 86 punch cards, early days of the computer, Fortran. I remember in college doing some programs programming in Fortran in my manufacturing engineering lab. So, oh boy, have the times changed and technology really evolved. But what's really why I brought you on here today, I am sure you've done amazing work in your consulting and technology practices, but then you made the change, a leap to do something different. And I would love to know more about the impetus of what you're doing now. Yeah, the business was running great, right? We'd grown. So the company I was working at as the COO, when I started, they were an eight, nine million dollar company. And then, you know, we grew to be about a $55 million company and about 350 employees. And of course, when you do great things, there's all these big companies out there that want to buy you up, right? There's so many acquisitions. So this Fortune 50 technology services firm after, so we won the first operating system for smart city and smart city, you know, a very emerging hot area of technology. And we beat out the big giant tech players in this. And they were like, well, how does this little $50 million company beat out the big ones? Well, it's just easier to buy you sometimes and to figure it out, right? So they bought us after I'd moved to open up our office in Des Moines, I was like, it's time that we could take everything that we do and we could start taking this to communities who need it the most. And again, you know, we'd bring a whole program of technology jobs and expertise. And we were premium of the small world. When I say small world, right, you know, $55 million company is not that big in the technology services industry. It's about a trillion dollar annual U.S. industry is just doing services of technology like software development and, you know, these kinds of services. So it's a pretty large industry. But I was like, you know, we could open these up in a rural community, you know, because our primary competitor was offshoring. And I was like, well, if you can send this work offshore in a totally different time zone with people who don't even speak English that well, right? And there's all the translation issues. You could do this in a rural community to start with. So I did that project in that company and it was very successful. And I kind of found my life calling and doing that and helping people and just going in and you just get so connected with the community and the people. Yeah, because this is so important because I don't want to get right into what you do now. Well, I do, but I want to set the stage. This entity is called Night Moves. And I really want to tell me, how did you arrive at the name of that entity? What does it mean? And now where have you taken it? Because there's such a, a social element that people need to hear because you said you found your calling. So if you play chess at all, right, it's the chess piece. It's night like a chess piece, not like the Bob Seger song. If you look at how a night is unique, and again, if you look at what's in our society, right, if you were to ask people, you know, whatever demographics they are, if they're poor or they're left behind, they're going to say things aren't changing fast enough. So the knight is the piece in chess that's this unique, that it moves non-linearly. It jumps over other pieces or barriers to get to its destination. And it's the piece that plays on the center of the board, right? It gets right in the middle if you're a good player. So, you know, that's kind of the key elements. And we're always in action. We're getting things done. We're not this slow moving. So it's night moves, not night sets. Okay. So tell us what you do night moves. I want you to just explain this whole thing and how this movement that you are creating 
is getting traction because you were brought to me because you said you've got to hear what Link has to say. Nobody else is doing this. And many, many people need to hear what you are creating and the movement that follows. Well, there's four legs on our stool, and I like to call it benevolent capitalism, what we do. So the first leg on our stool is that we create technology talent that rivals four-year degrees. And when I say rivals four-year degrees, Fortune 500 companies rate our graduates as someone at the level that they received a computer science degree, and then they had six to 12 months experience on the job. So someone hiring one of our graduates is going to save twenty-five dollars to $35,000 over hiring a four-year computer science degree graduate because they can immediately just step in the job the first week and work. That's very exceptional. And, you know, and this is not a knock on four-year degree programs by any way. You know, I have a four-year computer science degree. And if you hire a computer science graduate, you're going to have great success. You're just going to invest more in them to become productive than you are a night news graduate. So that's the first element we do. The second element is we exclusively focus on urban underserved Native American and rural communities, the big demographics of left behind. So that's our focus. And we're community focused, meaning we want to select a community that's the right match for us and and for them. Then we want to go in and be creating, to create kind of this engine that creates 15 to 25 jobs every year in that community where they can stay close. And we partner with companies who support work from anywhere or employees choice to where they live. The place equity is what it's called now, if you haven't heard that expression. You know, you have racial equity, you have place equity, because just because you're born somewhere, if you're a Native American, guess what? You're in an area that's not near commerce and not near jobs. So we bring employers that they don't require them or request them to relocate, which because of COVID, that's actually easy. When I started this, Six years ago, that was the hardest part. Now it's not hard at all, and companies line up for that. So that's the second leg of the stool. The third is our training program is really unique in that it still takes about three years to get through our program. So we're not a code camp. Very, very different. We focus on youth primarily is about 85%. And the reason we focus on youth is statistically hundreds of thousands upwards to 1.4 million unfilled computer science jobs in the country. And most of those either stay unfilled or they ship offshore. So why aren't we taking those opportunities and helping people get ahead who wouldn't otherwise, especially, you know, it's a game changer for them, for their communities. So what our program is, is we leverage the existing education structure. So imagine us coming to you and you're a sophomore in high school. That's typically the age we start at to directly recruit. And we actually introduce ourselves as a, you know, we're the Silicon Valley of social innovation. And we show them examples of the technology that we create that supports causes like ending hunger and homelessness. and Because I am like so fascinated. Again, forgive me. We've gone through the two pillars, the talent and the experience, the differentiator, where you focus, and then your training is different. But I've got to ask you, we're going to get through all of this here, but of a challenge, is it to move this forward? Is there opposition or Every time you get in a room and you connect with the right people, the momentum grows. I just want to understand the level of people embracing this initiative, this movement that you're doing. And then we're going to get back to the pillars. Well, you know, I have to say, wherever I present this, people say the same thing. Wow, this is just absolutely so innovative how you're solving these problems. Because again, we look at what the system isn't doing to help people. So what are companies not doing? What is the education system not doing? What are nonprofits not doing? What are those missing gaps that if we fill, then everything starts flowing? So when people see the whole thing, and it frankly takes 
about a 30-minute presentation. You know, I'm having more of an engineering, computer science kind of personality. It's definitely a highly engineered, but very simple once you get it, approach at how do you fill these gaps. But, you know, whether I'm presenting to a CEO or a community or economic developer or an educator, in fact, when we even start talking about the politics and the government of this, I can get someone like a conservative governor like Kim Reynolds and a progressive California Democrat. You can go watch their Fox News interview that they did on this, where even, you know, the interviewer is trying to get them to debate a little. And there's nothing to debate against this, right? I mean, when's the last time you saw a Republican and a progressive Democrat not debate against something on each other, right? There's just nothing to really pick at against this. It services the community on so many different levels. Oh my. So let's get back into this. The pillar where you're talking, the training, three years to do it. It's not a code camp. You focus on the youth and you may even start the conversation at the sophomore level. Yeah. So Deb, let's say you're a sophomore. By the way, this took a lot of interviewing with youth because what motivates them when you're 15, 16 years old is very different when you're 50 years old or a parent. So probably presented this to 1,500 youth at least to get feedback and also different demographics. So the reason young black men aren't going to college is different than other demographics. And if you want to get everybody in, you have to ask them, hey, why aren't you going to college? Because again, our goal isn't to get people to not go to college. Our goal is to get people who weren't going to go to college to have the same or better opportunity as someone who did with no debt at the end, which we haven't hit that point yet. So I present to you and I say, you know, we're the Silicon Valley of social innovation. And we talk about, and today's generation is probably the most cause-oriented youth generation in our history. They're very cause-oriented. So starting right at that care point, sharing how we're changing the world. So what if you invested in these areas to make the world a better place, whether it's drug addiction or there's an endless list of causes. What if we did that instead of investing billions into creating things like Uber and Airbnb? And I'm not against any of those. But, you know, this is one of the questions we ask the young people. Why don't you see more innovation going into these social causes? And everybody gets it, right? Well, you're, you're not going to become a billionaire solving society's issues. We say, but that's why we're here. We're here to enrich the lives of other people versus owners getting rich. And they go, wow, that's amazing. We applaud this. This is great. Then we say, well, hey, why don't you join us? We're kind of the green piece of technology innovation. And they say, well, we don't know anything. And you know, we work to talk to groups of students of 15 to 25. So we want to be in a smaller intimate group of like sophomores and juniors and seniors in high school. So they can actually have a dialogue with us. We go, okay, you know, we know you don't have this background, but right here, here's your local community college or high school. Next semester, there's this free software development course. Now, we're not asking you to make a career decision right now. We're just saying sign up for this course. And let's say you don't like it. Well, great. You're going to be a doctor. You're going to be an architect. You're going to be a truck driver. You'll have had a software development course that you can lean on your whole career, and that'll differentiate you from your competition because how many of those people are going to have actually had a software development course? But if you do like it, Keep going and take these next six courses, complete our prerequisites, and then apply to come to our training program. So what that does is it just gives them a really easy, simple step to take and enroll in the next semester into a software development class. And we get about 30 to 40% of these young people we talk to to sign up for software development, with about 40% of all being women. And if you know the statistics of getting people to voluntarily take a software development course, you're talking single digits of students saying, yeah, I'll take it. Because I can tell you, when we, we talk with these students, they have no idea what a career in technology is. They don't have any idea. They watch Netflix. They use TikTok. They do these things. 
but they really don't know what it is. And that's what we do is come in and help them explain it, but say, let's change the world and make it a better place with what we do. You said there's no cost to them. They finish up their education without debt. So this sounds too good to be true. Where's the hook? Tell me more. <laughs> I got you. So you finished up your seven core computer science courses. So you're going to take internet programming. You're going to take HTML. You're going to take two programming languages that are beginner and advanced that are object-oriented like Java or C-sharp, right? You're going to database. So you're going to have the same seven core courses you'd have if you went to name a public computer science university. Then you apply to come to our program and we're working with you the whole way. We stay connected with our students and that's a whole layer of luminary activity we probably don't have time to get into. But when you apply to our program, if you meet our criteria, which isn't that hard to meet, and we also just stay one thing, we want to stress that criteria on students because most of the time when you take classes in high school, you take them, you memorize it, you brained up and you move on. Because it's not like we actually use that much ever next. You take it. And I don't want to make that demeaning like you don't use it. But, you know, you're not applying it directly, right? You're learning these things for life. So we want them to understand, you know, when you take this course in C Sharp or Java or Python, you need to understand this and comprehend it. In fact, you're going to do a three-hour coding interview with us before you come to our program to make sure you actually learn this. And they go, oh, oh, I've got to really pay attention and really do this, right? We're going to do everything we can to make sure that they're really focused on this. And we say, okay, Deb, now when you come to our program, it costs us between fifteen dollars and $20,000 to train you. But here's the deal. You don't pay us up front. You pay us after you graduate and you get your job. And if you don't get the job, you don't pay us. Because the only way anyone graduates our program is we're not instructor-based, we're not classroom-based. You join a team of seven to 12 other people and you build real world solutions for at least six months. So all of these modern day software craftsmanship and how companies build technology. So if you were to think of name a Google or a John Deere or name a company that is building, which is every company, by the way, if you're any company, you have technologists because every company has to have technology to grow and survive. You're using the same methodologies, the same team practices as these companies do day one. So literally, when you start your job, you're saying, okay, where's your source control? What's this? What's this? And they just plug in and roll because they've actually been doing it. Because would you rather hire someone who's just finished their education or would you rather hire someone that's actually demonstrated they can do the job? So by the time you finish our program, you've demonstrated you can do the job and you don't graduate unless you check every box that, yep, I can do that. I can, I can actually demonstrate I can do that. And that's the most important thing with our brand, with our employers, is that everyone they bring in is somebody that can do the job. So this is pillar three that we just described here? That was pillar three. And pillar three is creating social benefiting solutions. So imagine unleashing an army of people just focused on these problems plaguing society and us innovating and creating solutions for them. So we're going to take a pause before we go into the pillar four that you described, because I am just chomping at the bit here to ask you questions amidst all this amazing knowledge that you are sharing here. So I would love just a quick story about by virtue of you doing this and anybody that's graduated from the program or the companies that have absorbed this talent, I want to understand what the impact has been. Well, I had one company call me who hired one of our graduates and they said, we only hire for your computer science graduates, but you know, you're this inclusion and diversity program and we're really working on that. So we interviewed your graduate and we have two questions for you. So your individual was stocking shelves at Walmart a little over a year ago and he just came in, this kid from Webster City, Iowa, right? Small town competing against four-year computer science degree graduates and 
technically beat out every graduate he was competing with. And both technically and emotional intelligence. And by the way, we've never had a four-year degree graduate even know what emotional intelligence is because we have a very intense focus on soft skills, emotional intelligence. It's not just technical skill. We get you for six months in our program, but we're going to get you for at least two years before that, that we continue to work with you. So coaching skills, empowerment, all of these aspects. And I tell you, when you work with underserved communities, especially, you've got to be building more than technical skills. Are you looking to also connect with institutions of higher learning that believe in this philosophy, giving people not just the technical skills, the essential skills, I know somebody I want to introduce you to. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. You know, we're a natural connection with community colleges. Four-year schools, they like us. And actually, I've been brought in to present to say, hey, how could we disrupt and how do we reach these people that aren't going? And it starts out usually like a great, wow, this is amazing. So like the president of a college will hear about it. And then all of a sudden, the department heads will be in there and they're like, you mean they really don't need us at all anymore for a four-year degree? And they're like, well, no, we're not competing with you. I mean, yeah, we're an alternate pathway, but in the end, not too many four-year colleges actually want to do anything with us because we're producing graduates that rival their four-year degree graduates in two to three years faster. There's something in what you said there, because sometimes when people think that two entities potentially are competition or adversaries, sometimes if you put them in the same room, something more powerful actually comes of it. So I just wanted to ask that question because I was just curious because again, this is about you and me getting to know each other and perhaps creating some even greater value. So we're going to kind of start turning this over now to the fourth pillar. Let's finish off that before we bring this to close. I am curious about the rest of the story. Yeah. So I started Night Moves as a nonprofit when I left my previous company. It was fantastic. It was the absolute best thing to do because I'd never run a nonprofit before. I'd been in the business world my entire career. And as a nonprofit, everybody lets you in the door because you're a nonprofit. They're not threatened by you. So it was great. And you meet so many people like Senator Joni Ernst's team, one of our hundred senators in in the country, showed it to her team. And she goes, wow, this is amazing. And I said, you know, I'm really wanting to affect coal towns in West Virginia You know, one of the things we want to do is, and I wish we had about four hours for this to talk about all the angles we're taking, but you need to think about, you know, these communities that are coal town. Well, one is, you know, we're not going to be running coal forever. And when you stop, you better have some alternative because these communities, their entire economics are based on that. And I said, hey, you know, do you have any connections in West Virginia that I could meet? Because I don't know anybody in West Virginia. So they introduced me to Senator Joe Manchin's team. And that's where, you know, you get out of the media. These people in government really do work pretty well together, right? You've got a Republican senator introducing to a Democrat senator because they really do want to help people. Now, once the microphones come on and the cameras, you get a little different, but I stay out of that part of the world. So you think about a coal town, West Virginia or, or wherever, you have generations of knowledge around that. So for us, we're studying what are all of the different technologies emerging from coal and and what are the technologies that are going to serve them? And then leveraging that and taking these multi-generations of families who've been in these industries, whether it's oil and gas or whether it's coal or you name it, right? Agriculture, and then upskilling them with the skills they need to be applicable to modern jobs and then creating that ecosystem. So that's amazing, but forgive me. (laughs) I'm already thinking of my next question here, but let's just finish up that thought again, going into the communities and, and it looks like a collaboration in what could be the next step for 
keeping the community together, leverage what they already know, and then moving forward. So if you could finish up there, because I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah, no, go ahead. Because I mean, I think that was kind of the, the thought. There. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing. I mean, when we think about people that could be listening on this interview right now, who would be great partners? I mean, I have CEOs potentially listening to this who may be very socially conscious minded, want to give back to the community. I also have aspiring C-suite leaders. I have people from a lot of different industries listening, but like, who do you want to connect with? And I will finish up that last piece because I was talking about starting this as a nonprofit and then going and having all these experiences. Well, I'm an innovator. And if you're, if you're familiar with the lean startup, you know, you've got the PPK methodology. It means you go a direction and you, wow, this is working. So you persevere and you keep going. Or you go, ah, this isn't working at all. Just kill it and try something new. Or you pivot. That's exactly what this journey has been the last six years is go in a direction. Oh, geez, the students, nobody wants to sign up for this class because they don't care about a career in technology. Okay. So why would they care? Why is this important to them, right? And then doing the interviews and getting feedback loops, right? And then going, ah, this is what they care about. And that's what this journey has continuously been is getting those feedback loops. Well, my challenge was to really solve these problems. I needed to do things that you can't legally do as the nonprofit. So I've got a great nonprofit attorney that was working for me and giving me guidance. And they're like, Link, that's a great idea. I see what you're doing, but it's not going to work because you can't legally do that as a nonprofit. I'm like, well, fine, I'll just be a for-profit and make it a social benefiting for-profit. And if I make a dollar a year, I can do anything I want. They go, yep, you can do that. So, okay, excellent. Well, now also I can get out of this whole, and if we have time, I do want to come back to the challenge as an innovator of what I found in the foundation, because most nonprofits are funded by foundations or federal grants if they're doing anything meaningful. So, you know, I'll pause that. And if we have time, we'll come back later. But it was a major discovery to me of, why aren't we seeing social impact and social benefiting causes advance faster? It was something that just totally blew me away when I discovered of why aren't we seeing this change fast enough? But to finish up your last question, I flipped Night Moves as a nonprofit to a limiting profit organization. And so that fourth pillar is the way we fund our mission is the same business I've been in you know, most of my career is Night Moves as a technology service provider. So when I speak with companies and say, you're going to buy these services from someone, you're already going to buy them. We're not asking for donations. We're not asking for you to do anything different than you're going to do anyway. There's companies buying a trillion dollars worth of these services every year. If you buy our services, instead of the owners going and buying bigger yachts and things like this, which is great. I do love it. It's great to have big yachts and stuff like that. Fantastic for those people. But our focus is on instead, what if we took profit and we put it into your next generation of talent? Because this is a spot for companies that is a gap, is companies really depend on the college system for their new talent. And urban, underserved, and rural and Native American have like the lowest attendance of four-year colleges, just statistically much lower attendance. And, you know, if you look at trying to solve diversity is companies are really just moving people that are minorities between companies. They're not adding the capacity. And if we want to add diversity, we've got to start younger, especially if it's technical diversity. And Companies are desperate to get more women in, to get more blacks in, more Hispanics, more all around diverse and low income to get people into the workforce. So that fourth leg of ours of the stool is simple. If you buy our services, 
And by the way, we pay no commissions. We have no payment structure of anybody making a nickel if somebody buys your service. We're only going to sell a service to you that makes sense for your company and that no one is being driven by money to make that sale. If it's the right move for your company, now that's where I call it benevolent capitalism. So it's still capitalism. We're selling our services. We've got to provide the best value for the buck. We've got to produce the best services. And when you hire our graduates, they've got to be better prepared than a four-year degree graduate. And if they're not, we're not asking you to ever hire someone again. We're not asking for handouts, but we want to take that money that we make and we want to invest it in social benefit in these communities and your future talent. So if you look at our impact to a company's HR department, retaining employees, but I think the latest survey I saw from Harris Polls was eight out of 10 employees say that their company's contributing to racial equity is important to them. And only two in 10 say it's actually happening. So when your company gets involved in something like this, you immediately have, and by the way, our whole marketing team is going to produce information for you that you can use your employees. We're going to help your diversity and inclusion program for obvious reasons. We're going to help your IT department with a great services department. We're going to help your corporate sustainability and corporate citizenship. We're going to help your marketing department. We're going to help your government relations group. Just think about this. Wherever we go that's urban, there's a Democrat. Wherever in rural, it's a Republican. And our job is to pull them both together and to work together. And you get all these photo ops with your government relation groups and these opportunities of doing something bipartisan. And you know, today it's just toxic to do something that's one side or the other side. You're going to tick 40% of your people off either side of that. Anyway, that's our fourth leg is to actually provide these services. And by the way, the way that we actually pay for the training cost, when we say there's no cost to you, is after you graduate our training, Deb, you go to work for us as a consultant for six months, and then we bill you as part of our team to these companies. But here's the thing. We have no interest in making money off of you. So we're going to pay you like $15 an hour But then with the rest of the money we make, we're going to pay off your education. So by the time your six months is done with us, employers have six months of experience working with you to go, yeah, I want to hire that person. It's cheaper than them operating an apprenticeship program. They're getting better talent and it's not their problem if they don't want to hire them. It's my problem. So anyway, that's how the whole system kind of works together. Thanks for letting me go through that. And very, very impressive. And as I start thinking about bringing this to a close and I think about the scene that is behind you. So I'm looking at Link. He's got this beautiful space scene. He's got a planet and then the black atmosphere and then just a little bit of a haze. And I think about new frontiers. If you think about Star Trek, always looking for new frontiers, for new life, et cetera. And what you're doing is you, through your innovation, your unique idea, you are going to new frontiers where nobody has explored before and you never know what you're going to get. And you are bringing back gems new life, new ways of thinking, new, new, new to a problem. And I so appreciate you addressing something. And I think if nothing else for me, this is inspirational, that if you have an idea that nobody is talking or thinking about, be brave to speak up. And so that's my message for some of the people listening, the aspiring leaders. But if you are a senior leader, and you are faced with these challenges and you're keenly aware that you need to do something different because what we've been doing before doesn't serve us or has not gotten you the results, I certainly encourage you to think about what Link has done. Even if you don't use his services, what can you do to make a socially different impact either in the community or the people in your care? But Link, this has been an amazing interview. Any last closing thoughts or ways that people can find out more about you or Night Moves? 
Yeah. So if you go to nightmoves.org, and again, that's night, like the chess piece, like starts with a K. And, you know, we have a contact on there. If you're a community and you go, wow, I'd love to bring this to my community. You can click on the communities link and it's like, here's the requirements that we look for, for a good match. We're very accessible. And in fact, also we have what's called the problem hunter on our website, which means let's say you have that big social innovation idea that could change the world. You can go to problem hunter and you can propose it. We'll put it in our queue. We will analyze it by social impact. It could be regional. It could be national. It could be something that actually all it does is help support an existing nonprofit, improve its mission and effective. So as long as it's a 501c3 kind of mission, then you can propose it. And if we build it, we do it for free at no charge to that nonprofit. It's no cost to the nonprofit world when we build the technology for them. Link, this has been an amazing interview. I am inspired by the work that you're doing. I hope somebody listening is going to reach out to you or if nothing else, say you can be the person to make a difference. Your work is very inspiring and I sincerely appreciate and wish you continued success. Thank you so much. Ben. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. My new book, CEO's Compass will change the way you think about leadership, navigate rapid transformation, and elevate the leaders of tomorrow. If you're feeling off track, the CEO's Compass assessment will guide you to peace of mind in days, not months. You can learn more about the CEO's Compass by visiting my website at dropinceo.com. Now go out and lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.